Genesis 12, 1-7. Now the Lord said to Abram, go, to your con- go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of, uh, of Canaan, <laughs> Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Thank you, Jenny. It is a pleasure to be here again today uh, bringing the word of God to you. And it's a pleasure to get to jump from Adam to Abraham and uh, seemingly just preach the highlights uh, and uh, kind of skip over some of the difficult parts in between. Um, but it is, uh, it is really a pleasure to, to be preaching this morning, and I ask that you would pray with me as we ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come to you as your people whom you have called whom you have called to uh, obedience, whom you have called to salvation, to whom you have given promises. I pray that we would see who you are and what you have promised and that we would respond well. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a verse uh, that will be a, a theme running behind this, taken from 2 Corinthians one twenty. For now, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. In 2002, uh, I was fresh out of seminary in Escondido, California. I spent the summer uh, working and then uh, promptly decided... I think I want to go to school some more. So I got into my 1986 white Nissan 350, not 350, sorry, that's a newer one, 300ZX uh, with the T-tops, and uh, a friend of mine came with me, and we drove 3,000, I think 3,150 miles, give or take a little bit. It uh, turns out a Nissan Z is not the best car to take to New England. Uh, if I could go back, I would, uh, I would sell that car and, uh, and buy something with front-wheel drive and, uh, I don't know, a Honda or something. Uh, and when, as I'm going, it starts to unfold what it is I'm doing. I'm leaving everything except that which would fit in the back of a a little bit older sports car. Now, sports cars are not known for their uh, storage capacity, so you can guess. I didn't bring much with me. Uh, my TV, my suitcases, I think about four books, and uh, uh, enough snacks to uh, make it from Cracker Barrel to Cracker Barrel. Um, 
and uh, and it was a it was quite an experience. And uh, uh, once I got there, I learned what winter was. Uh, not sure I would have gone had I known that, but uh, maybe knowing that I would end up in Hawaii would ma- soften the blow. Well, Abraham is called on a road trip, but not when he was young, not when uh, you would think you would. Uh, uproot and start a new life. Uh, Abraham was 75, and God shows up to him and says, you're going to Canaan. Uh, You're going to leave where you've been living for a while, and you're going to go to Canaan. And uh, we're going to be looking at what it is that that God said to Abraham, what it is that was promised to Abraham, and then kind of how that uh, affects us. But I want to start out with a little bit of kind of the context of what's going on. And one thing I want to emphasize is that our God is a God of promises. Uh, when we read the Old Testament, and we've been starting out um, kind of hitting uh, big highlights, we've, uh, we've seen kind of a general overview of what we'll be doing, and then we went to Adam. We saw that God created everything good and that Adam was created good. And then we saw the fall. And immediately after the fall, God shows up and says, among other things, one day the seed of Eve will crush the head of the serpent. Not a lot to go on, but there's some real hope there. Not too much longer, and we didn't go through this, but we end up with Noah. Noah is the only righteous person left on the face of the planet, and God decides it's time to start over. And uh, for a while, some of that uh, language of creation where God separates the water from the dry land uh, goes in reverse. God removes the separation. The waters come, cover the world, and things start over. And God makes another promise. I'm not going to do that ever again. I will not destroy the world with a flood. And uh, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, Those are going to stick around. And so we see that God preserves Noah, and unfortunately, the world starts to unfold, and the world unfolds in the same direction that it did before. Uh, And once you get to Genesis 11, you get to the Tower of Babel. Uh, Humanity had been told, fill the earth and subdue it. They said, let's all live in one place and build a big tower up into the heavens. Uh, God said no to that, Um, and because of that, we have language classes. Um, Well, there's a big transition when we get to Abraham, because so far we've seen these big, lofty things and these very small moments where God will come in, do something very big, very revolutionary, and then you have a long period of silence. We get the idea reading the Old Testament that God is showing up to just about everybody and that uh, now if you were living back then, oh, you're going to have a dream. God's going to show up to you. He's going to speak to you. Uh, you're going to run into a prophet who's going to you know, tell you something special. The reality is up until, this po- up until this point, I've pretty much summarized most of what God has said. There's been a lot of things that have happened, but God has not said many things. With Abraham, there's a bit of a change because we begin to focus in on one family. Now, we've already had 
the line of Seth. Noah is from the line of Seth. And then you have the line of Shem, one of Noah's sons, and it continues. But we don't really have anything between Noah and Abraham. Once you get to Abraham, things start to unfold a little bit faster, a little bit um, more of a personal relationship uh, is built and, uh, and a lasting relationship so that God shows up more and more and more until finally Jesus shows up um, and we have God with us. But as we look at Abraham, what do we know? Um, we don't have a whole lot of his background. We know that he was of the line of Seth. Uh, we know that he came originally out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans is a, a later name for the area, but uh, this would have been Sumeria, if you know your history. These, this is one of the very early uh, civilizations. We think that it was a pretty thriving uh, city center, and that Abraham is you know, coming out of that. So he's not coming from uh, the backwater or the hills. He's coming from the city, and he's being told, go move out into uh, Bakersfield, uh, something like that. It's, uh, it's not a big, you know, thriving area that he's being told to move to. It's a, it's a step down in terms of culture. Um, now, we also know that uh, Abraham is pretty old. Um, he's 75, and... Uh, though we read that his family lives to be a long time, we know that Abraham considers himself to be an old man uh, when, when God affirms the promise later. Uh, and we know that it's not too much longer before Jacob shows up before Pharaoh. And as I read it, Pharaoh is just blown away with how old uh, Jacob is. Jacob at that time is 130 or 129 and Pharaoh says, how old are you? And we read over that quickly, but I think he's saying, my goodness, you are old. How old are you? And it seems to be a suggestion that not everyone is living that long. Um, so we know that there seems to be something going on here. Um, and then we have another interesting clue to who Abraham is um, in that this journey has been started before. Uh, there's a bit of speculation of, is Abraham uh, a pagan before God calls him, or is he someone who was a line of, or from the line of faithful obedience to God? Um, now, I don't know for sure, but we have this interesting statement in chapter 11, uh, verse 31, right before what we read, that Terah, took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, uh, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Sound familiar? Uh, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. And then it says Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Uh, there seems to be a suggestion that, you know, Terah has a reason to move. Is it perhaps that God has offered the same call to Terah that he did to Abraham or that it was offered to Abraham and Terah came along at uh, 
biblical scholars have, have thought of both. Um, but I'm going to suggest, I think that's a suggestion that there is some connection to God in the family. Now, it's also possible that Abraham is a pagan, that he's coming from a land of moon worshipers, and uh, that's certainly been suggested. That's certainly possible. Um, but other than these things, we don't know a lot about Abraham. We just know that we show up when uh, normally life would be winding down, Abraham's is getting started. Now, one of the things that we can conclude from this is God does not give up. Uh, Abraham is receiving a promise that is an extension of a promise that was given to Eve and to Adam. Uh, And what we see is that God remains faithful. There is an unchangeableness to God's promises. And uh, as it says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and he will not fulfill it? As we look in Genesis, we see that God is faithful to everything that he says. Now, we're also going to see that it takes a while. Uh, Even when it comes to the promises given to Abraham and to Sarah, it's not an instantaneous fulfillment. Uh, Abraham doesn't show up and have everyone around him say, all right, you're here, uh, we'll, uh, we'll pack our bags. Nor does he show up in Canaan and uh, Sarah's pregnant right away and they start having kids. Doesn't happen that way. Uh, and so now I want to move a little bit to the content of these promises. Like I said, so far we haven't had much. God has said the seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. God would not destroy the world again. And then you get Abraham's promise. And Abraham's promise is wonderfully absurd. Uh, If you read the story, there's several points where there's laughter going on. Um, And we read it, we're used to reading it, we've read it before, and we read over it. Sure, Abraham's 75, do the math. Uh, Sarah's 64 when they leave uh, Haran. and they're going to have a baby. Now, at 64, you think, okay, sure, God, we live a long time back then. Maybe this will work out. Well, time goes by. Uh, eventually, they decide, you know, maybe God needs a little bit of help here. Uh, Sarah comes up with the idea, here's Hagar, my my young uh female servant, why don't we have a child with her? Sometimes, you know, maybe sometimes people do that. They, uh, they have children with their slaves. It becomes theirs. Maybe God meant for us to do that. Ishmael is born when Abraham is 86, uh, which would make uh, Sarah 75. Uh, 77, sorry. Uh, and it starts to get even a little bit more absurd. Now, I want you to imagine, because at that point, we're getting into about the same age as our very own Grables, Richard 
and Margaret. And I want you to imagine that next Sunday, Richard and Margaret show up and say, we've got news. Uh, Beyond all expectation, uh, we're having a baby. Uh, And you guys did what, what we'd expect. We laugh. That's what Sarah did. Uh, because God shows up and reiterates uh, a bit later, no, I meant what I said, you're going to have a baby. More time goes by. Abraham is now 99, Sarah is 90, Uh, Ishmael is now quite grown up, and God shows up and says, by this time next year, you're going to have a baby. Uh, absolutely absurd. The promises that God make here are crazy. And Abraham and Sarah at this point are, are, they want to trust, but they say, come on, God, be reasonable. Uh, We're old here. Uh, That time is gone. And Sarah's in the tent laughing, and uh, a year later, they have a baby named Laughter, and, uh, and the promises of God are seen to, to unfold. But it's worth looking at the absurdity of these promises. Here God chooses an old couple who have never been able to have a child. Uh, the world would have said, absolutely impossible. And God says, you're going to have a baby. Now, he promises more than that. And when we unpack what is promised, we see that Abraham has promised land. He's promised the land of Canaan. We saw that in verse 7. He's promised descendants. Uh, He's promised that his descendants will be like the stars in number. And most importantly, he's promised, perhaps, that God will be his God and that God will will bless him and make him a blessing. Now, when we take those promises and hold them up to some of the curses that Adam had received, Adam and Eve had received at the fall, we see that there's a bit of an undoing of those curses. Adam was expelled from his land. He was expelled from Eden. God would give Abraham the promised land of Canaan. Adam was separated from from the presence of God, God would now be Abraham's God. Sin and curse entered through Adam, and while it wouldn't be Abraham himself who would bring about redemption, it would be his seed. And uh, we see in Galatians that uh, it is the, the promises to Abraham that, that are the foundation for the coming of Christ. And then we are told Abraham would become the father of many nations. And so a world that was once cursed is now going to see blessing unfold eventually to not just Jews, not just the line of of Shem, not just the line of Abraham, but to the whole earth. The promise of Abraham is the foundation for what God does through Christ. 
Now, Abraham is the recipient of that promise, and you might want to ask, well, why Abraham? Uh, One of the things the Bible says clearly, it's not because of works. Abraham did not uh, practice faithfulness and then receive the promise. Uh, He's presumably minding his own business up in uh, southern Turkey, northern Syria, uh, in Haran, and did he expect to hear from God? We don't know. Uh, But Abraham wasn't chosen because he had faithfully on his own decided, you know what, Dad, God called us, I'm going. He does that after the promise. Um, Now, when you get to the time of the New Testament, Jews of Paul's time tended to think of Abraham as the perfect law keeper. They tend to look back at him and say, Abraham is our example of someone who kept the law perfectly and received blessing. And when you get to Romans 4, Paul says, no, that's wrong. How was Abraham justified? It wasn't through circumcision. It wasn't through anything that he did. And if we want to talk about law, there was no Ten Commandments in the time of Abraham. There was no written law. There was nothing for Abraham to be obedient to. Abraham was not the perfect keeper of the law. He was a, he was a regular guy who God showed up to and made promises. And what Abraham did right was that he believed God. And that was credited to him as righteousness. And so Paul says, look, Abraham lived before there was even a law. He receives this by grace. It's a gift. And he's justified not by keeping any law. He's justified by his faith. And in fact, when we begin to unpack Abraham's life, and we don't have time to go through it all all now, but you see that Abraham is not a perfect believer. Uh, We've already heard this mention of Ishmael. Ishmael is born probably because they'd given up on God doing a miraculous thing. Uh, At another time, when they are 99 and 90, God says, you're going to have a baby. Abraham says, why can't you just bless Ishmael? Just just do that. It's, It's much more reasonable. It makes a lot more sense to me. And then there's this business of Abraham going into Egypt or into another, uh, into, among the Assyrians, I believe, and uh, his wife is beautiful, which is somewhat amazing that she would be that beautiful at that age. Is that part of what God is doing here? Don't know, but Abraham fears for his life, and he says, hi, Pharaoh, this, this is my sister. Um, why is he doing that? It seems that he's afraid that he's going to die. Now, if he had faith in God's promises fully, he wouldn't have feared for that. Um, Now, ultimately, Abraham is a man of faith, and the New Testament commends him. But if we look closely, we can see that Abraham is not the one who's going to bring about the kind of salvation that God has promised. Abraham, too, is looking forward to something else that's coming. And Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter 11, that 
the fact that Abraham believed something was coming is proof to us that something greater was coming. In other words, Abraham was waiting for something. What was he waiting for? He's waiting for what we received. That'll be something uh, we, we talk about in a moment. Moving on to our third point, we have fulfillment not in Abraham, not in his day, but much later. Abraham does receive a literal uh, fulfillment of each of his promises, uh, or at least the beginning of them. Um, This man who was without child, married to a woman without child, through the power of the Holy Spirit had a child of promise. Now later, Abraham will uh, remarry after Sarah passes away and has several children, and you read about uh, several children that he would give them a blessing and send them on their way. And uh, if you do a lot of careful research, you can follow their names. And when the Israelites come back from Egypt, you can see some of the same names uh, populating that whole area. There was a very literal way in which Abraham became a father of many nations. Uh, Arabs today look back to Ishmael, uh, Jews to Abraham. A literal fulfillment there that he would uh, have many, many descendants. There was a literal fulfillment of the land. Israel took over Canaan. And certainly there was blessing. God was with his people in many ways. And yet all of these are shadows of what's to come later. And it is in Christ that we find the fullness of the promises to Abraham uh, come to fruition. Paul in Galatians three sixteen is talking to the Galatian church. I. Uh, And he's saying to them, it's not through the law that you're saved. It is through faith. And one of the things that he goes to to make his case is the promise to Abraham. And he says, look, the promise of Abraham came before the law. And the promise overrules the law. And so all that business about the law cursing us, that was temporary And the promises made to Abraham are the foundation for what was to come. And he says in Galatians 3.16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Now that could sound limiting, That could sound like, well, wouldn't it be better if it was to everyone? But what Paul goes on to say after that is that Christ is the perfect recipient and accomplisher of these promises. And here's the good news. Through faith, you have been united with Christ. And through that union, you now have uh, the right to inherit Uh, everything that was promised to Abraham. And so when we talk about you in Christ, we're talking about you 
receiving all the blessings that Christ deserves. And then we start to see if we are united with Christ, if we are heirs with him, our inheritance is absolutely enormous, absolutely absurdly wonderful, absolutely beyond anything we would uh, come up with on our own. Like Abraham, we receive the promises of God. We receive them in Christ. Well, if this is true, how do we live? What are the consequences of the promises that are there and now the promises that have been fulfilled in Abraham? First thing to do is to diagnose our own shallow faith. Uh, Like Abraham and Sarah, we hear what God is saying to us and sometimes we laugh uh, or we brush them off. Uh, We are a people who expect the expectable. We expect what's reasonable. And very often when we couple our own shallow faith with a good, solid understanding that God uses troubles and God uses uh, things in this world to refine us, we come up with this skewed understanding that God really doesn't want to bless me because if he did, well, I might not have as much faith in him. God really wants me to be kind of miserable most of the time so that I can understand him. And there's a kernel of truth in that, as long as you add the word sometimes. Uh, well, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians. Ephesians three twenty to 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Likewise, Jesus says uh, to the disciples who are amazed that Jesus cursed a fig tree and it withered the next day. Jesus says, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, James will qualify that and say you have to ask with the right motives and you can't just say, oh, Lord. I have a desire for a Lamborghini, and I believe it. God's going to say, you don't need one. It's not good for you. Uh, But that said, we tend to do that with most of our requests, I think. We pray, and we step back. We pray, and we step back. We pray, and we don't really expect it. We pray, and we think, yeah, it would be nice, but I'll, I'll just be content. 
It's good to be content. It's good to be content in all situations. The Bible says that. But the Bible also says, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. We are told to go boldly before the eternal throne, knowing that we are covered in Christ, knowing that we are heirs with Christ, that we are recipients of the promise to Abraham, and we are told God keeps his promises. One of the things that we can do is focus our prayer life on the promises of God, where it's true that God will probably not give us all the wealth we desire, uh, though it could happen. Uh, If you pray for the Holy Spirit, that prayer will be answered. If you pray things that God has promised for you, you will be amazed at what he does in response. And we can have full faith that if God has said he will do something, he will do it. So the thing to do is to turn our prayer life from selfish things to learning to pray the way Jesus did, um, to praying the promises of God. God has said, I will be with you. I will be your God. You will be my people. That's a prayer you can pray. And if you are feeling distant from God, Uh, pray it. Say, God, you have said you would be with me. I call on you to be with me. He will not turn you away. One of the things we see that's part of this is if Abraham is justified by faith, so are we. Our participation in all this is not through our own merit, not through our own works, not through... uh, learning to manipulate God, not through uh, showing up on Sunday without missing any. It's faith alone, grace alone. And as God showed up one day when Abraham probably thought his life was pretty much over, uh, so we are the recipients of unexpected promises of... uh, things far beyond what we deserve and of things that are absurd in the eyes of the world. If you do not know God, the same goes for you. Uh, God makes the same offer to you that if you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus, he will be your God. He will call you by name and you will receive all of the blessings God promised Abraham. Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, you are the God who keeps promises. Give us the eyes of faith to see that. May we hold to your promises, and may we expect that you will fulfill them in our lives. We thank you that you have included us in the promise, that you have accomplished these promises in Christ, and that we are now one with him. Help us to live lives that reflect that. In Jesus' name, amen.